This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast. You can find it, of course, on the uh, Bet Rivers Network or wherever you go for your uh, podcasts. And remember, for all of your wagering needs, you go to Bet Rivers in New York and New Jersey, play Sugar House. In Connecticut, we are finishing up the final days of uh, February, which is always a very uh, good thing. We're 17 days away from St. Patrick's Day, then we're going to be you know, three weeks away from spring uh, and two weeks away from the NCAA tournament and away we go. Before you know it, it'll be spring. Uh, spring training will be in the rearview mirror. The baseball season will be upon us. And then obviously all the excitement that comes with uh, the month of months of April and May, including the NFL draft. First, we'll have all the NFL free agency, which is going to be interesting with the quarterbacks. And then the next thing you know, we're in the NBA playoffs and the Stanley Cup playoffs and then the Derby, the whole thing, and away we go. So, you know, the selection committee the last couple of years has put out this February watch list, the 16 teams, and seeded them. And... If it's any indication in the past, like last year, these seeds are very close to what happens because three of the four number one seeds stood up. 15 of the 16 teams that were seeded were seeded when the real tournament was was uh, named. And if you saw it, it's a very good indicator with very few teams left out. The number one team was Alabama, and I think they're right. I think Alabama is the most complete team in the country. It has a incredible length, and it has the most dynamic player in the country in Miller, who is a Durant-like player, who is going to be a tremendous pro. But he right now is embroiled in this murder that evidently, from what we can understand, his gun was used in a handgun murder. Now, how he is or how deeply implicated he is, we're still learning. He was not in any way indicted um, or charged with anything, but somebody took a gun he had in his possession and used it in a murder. Now, people were incensed that he played the South Carolina game. He not only played the South Carolina game, he was brilliant. He, He He made every big basket down the stretch as the Gamecocks were looking for a big upset. He made the winning baskets in overtime. He scored 41 points in a game that a lot of people felt he should have been made to sit out. So he showed you on a night where people were saying, oh, he's probably going to be rattled. 
rattled. He played the best game he's played in his career. So Miller, and maybe if you don't follow college uh, basketball that closely, you don't realize the name Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller is going to be a big, big NBA star. He is very much a smaller version of Durant, and that is an incredible compliment. This guy can score at will. Great length. Um, inside out. He's not a big driver. He's not a big strong guy. He's more of a sleek. He's more of an ice man like 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 Durant. He's more of a ice man, make a jump shot with length and and just has incredible talent. Nineteen five and eight rebounds he's averaging. He's a exquisite shooter and he is a guy who can lead a team to a national title. He's that kind of player. He has that kind of profile. And so does Alabama. They've had some weird losses. Like they went to Oklahoma and got blown away. They've lost a couple of games. But right now, clearly, I have no quibble with the teams they put on the one line. Alabama, Houston, which has a tremendous defensive team. There are days where they don't shoot it real well. There are days where they can kill themselves on the foul line, but they can destroy you with their defense. Uh, they came very close to making the Final Four last year. were beaten by Villanova in a very good game. Um, then comes Purdue, which obviously has the big man, Eddie. And then you have Kansas, which is a very, very dangerous team and a team that I think could easily win it all. On the two-line, you have UCLA and Arizona and Texas and Baylor. The Big 12 is loaded with teams. The three-line is Kansas State, Iowa State, which is slumping, Virginia, which got beat at Boston College tonight, which was crazy, and Tennessee. The teams on that line have slumped recently. Tennessee has slumped recently. Virginia lost to BC. Iowa State's been getting beat right and left, and Kansas State's slumping also. So the teams on that line have really taken it on the chin in the last 10 days. And then Gonzaga, Marquette, Indiana, and Xavier are on the four line. If you're looking for teams that didn't get in there that are dangerous, UConn is very dangerous. Had a great December. Has not been as good in conference play, but has the ability to beat almost anybody in the country. Creighton's a good team. TCU's a good team. Miami's a good team. Uh, St. Mary's is a good team. And I wouldn't rule out Michigan State as being dangerous when the season, when the uh, tournament starts. So that's some of the teams that we're looking at right now. If I had a look at a couple of teams that didn't get seeded that I would look at, I would look especially at UConn and Creighton. And I really like Miami also. I think Miami could be uh, well coached by Larinaga. Could be it's, it's a down year for the ACC, but I think they could be a dangerous team. It's an interesting year from the standpoint of some of the named teams. Teams that have dominated Kentucky is not a complete team. They are they just they don't handle it well, they don't shoot it well, they're they can rebound like crazy, but they'll make the tournament, but they're not a danger to go deep, I don't think. 
Duke, same thing. Been good at home, been bad on the road. Uh, Villanova has got to push just to make the tournament. And this is a team that has dominated college basketball in the J right now in the first year without them. Right now, they're a long shot to even make the tournament because they have to win the Big East tournament to get the tournament. They can't. They've played a little better of late when since uh, since they've been complete. But bottom line, uh, they still are going to have to come to the Madison Square Garden and win the tournament to go to the NCAA tournament this year. And North Carolina, same thing. They better be careful. They might not make the tournament this year. So those are some really serious name schools that, you know, you're used to hearing those four, especially Duke, Kentucky, Villanova, and North Carolina. And I wouldn't expect a whole lot out of any of them this year. When we come back, your email. Want to email the Mike Francesa podcast? Drop Mike a note at podcast at gmail.com. All right, you send your emails to podcast at gmail.com gmail.com, send them along, and we'll get to as many as we can. Um, will the Yankees ever honor Brett Gardner with a number of time or a special day? I, I don't think, listen, I like Gardner. He always did. He got a lot out of his talent. He's not that kind of player. He's not going to get his number retired. And, and let's be honest, the Yankees have retired way, way, way too many numbers. And as far as I'm getting a day, well, they give everybody a day, so who knows? That might be possible. Anything to make a buck. Danny in Staten Island, do you prefer the new way NBA and college coaches dress? Or do you like the old suit and tie look, the old Jay Wright, Dapper, Dan look? Um, This is an offshoot of the pandemic. That's where this started. This idea of dressing down coaches to where they come out and all they're dressed in is basically sneakers, khakis, and a pullover. You know, a golf three-quarter pullover, as you call it. I wear a lot of those, too, because I play a lot of golf now. So I wear a lot of those pullovers, too, because they're they're very comfortable. They look good. So I, I have a whole bunch myself. That's all you see guys dressed in. That's it. That's all That's all the coaches wear now. Uh, I'm sure it makes it a lot easier for them where they don't have to worry about being narrowly attired every game. There are still some coaches that dress. Um, I liked it better when they, were, when they had a little style myself. Will they go back to that? I don't know. This makes it a lot easier where you don't have to worry about that. As a matter of fact, a lot of the guys will be dressed in a sports jacket and then put it away, you know, on their way to the game and then go out there with their other stuff on. And you see the assistants wearing it, and the head coach usually wears a different color, and that's basically it. But everybody's dressing the same now. They wear their khaki pants or their athletic pants and sneakers, basketball shoes, and their three-quarter pullover. And that's become the standard norm now uh, everywhere, in the NBA, in college, everywhere. There's a couple of guys I've noticed that don't don't wear it. Um, the St. John's coach seems to dress a lot. He, wear, he still wears his sport jackets and everything. He likes to wear those red and blue, especially red sport jackets. But, um, you know, it depends on the person. But you're not getting guys dressing like they used to. Um, 
Joe emails, I hate comparing different sports, but I've always liked your saying in football that if you have two quarterbacks, you really have no quarterback. Well, that's an old adage that goes back long before me, but it's true. The Yankee infield, once again, looks like it's going to be a platooning merry-go-round. Uh, it feels like they don't have one true guy at any position. Uh, why don't they just commit to the kids? Well, frankly, either the kids aren't ready or they just don't trust them. Yankee infield, other than Rizzo, is a mess. I would have moved Glaber if I could have. I want LeMayu to play every day because I think they need him at the leadoff spot. I don't think Bader's a leadoff man. They really have no idea who's going to win the shortstop job long term. And they don't know if Donaldson can carry a season or not anymore at third base. If not, does LeMayu wind up at third base? Maybe, but it's not his best position. Rizzo is, you know, golden at first base. I think he's the, you know, he's my, has been my favorite Yankee for a while. I wanted him to come back. He is very close to, obviously, Judge. He also is a good compliment, left-handed power compliment to Judge's right-handed power compliment and Stanton. So if you get, 40 out of Judge and 30 out of five out of Stanton and 30 out of Rizzo. You know, you got a lot of home runs with a lefty sandwich with the two righties. Um, they need left-handed power, and he provides that. But I think you're right. The infield, well, the Yankees have, you know, when you look at it now, have positions, third base, shortstop, left field, where you don't know who is going to, you don't know who is going to, be the everyday player. You really don't. And I, I think I think it is a problem. I'd like to see them play one of the kids at shortstop and commit to him and give him a chance to, to become the guy. You know, um, they would have liked to get rid of Donaldson. Didn't happen. They probably would have liked to get rid of uh, Torres, but they couldn't. Um, eventually, they're going to have to pay him. He's a good clutch player. He's not as good a player as we thought he was going to be. So I don't think the Yankees, although they now have a very formidable uh, rotation and a nice one-two punch in the rotation, I don't think they're guaranteed to have a great closer. And I think they have a lot of holes in the lineup. I don't think with, unless you have LeMay in the lineup, I don't think they have an everyday leadoff hitter. I still don't like the balance in the, in the lineup. If if they get Stanton in the outfield, does it open up the uh, DA spot? Yes, but for whom? For a rotation? Okay. But is that that important to do? Not really. So from that standpoint, they haven't really answered. They're a good team. They should be a good team. Their payroll's enormous. They should have. They should. You know, it's second to the mess. They should have. They should have a good team. Are they a great team? No. Are they better than the Astros? They're not. Uh, you have mentioned that you have a place in Florida. Do you visit spring training facilities? Sometimes. I'm not a huge spring training baseball person. Never have been. I like to visit once or twice, but I'm not someone who goes there every day. Um, there's plenty. There's not as much near me as they used to be because the East Coast doesn't have as much as it used to. Uh, 
Um, and I still don't get down there yet full time because I still have kids in high school. When I don't have kids in high school, I'll spend the winters down there. And the rest, I hope I'll always spend half the year here. Okay. You have to make a designation though. So I'll probably do more than half in Florida for the tax purposes. There's, there's enormous tax advantages to Florida. Um, and do more than half there. So it's six and a half months or seven months in Florida, five months here. I'll always come back here for, for the spring and summer. You know, I'll always come back here from May to, you know, November. Uh, but then I'll be in Florida full time the rest of the year for that reason. Once the kids go to college, I have two going to college next year, and then Harrison goes the year after. So um, when you have them in high school and they're busy in high school and there's games to go to and everything else, that's been a big positive. But I got to see, you know, I get to see them participate in everything they do. I get to see their sports. I get to see all that stuff, you know. So that's a positive. Now I'll have Jack playing in college next year, so I'm going to have to go. Uh, which is great if he's playing. Now, he's going to be a freshman on the varsity, so I don't know how much he's going to play, so we'll have to wait and see. Um, but, uh, you know, it gives me a chance to get to the games, and I got to all those games last year. Um, Vincent, Seton Hall has been up and down with their new coach this year, not surprisingly. Without a big-time scorer, they win with defense. Well, I agree. With a few games to go, do you think they can make a run in the Big East? No, I don't think I think they're a cut below in the Big East. The Big East is dominated this year by the Midwestern teams, meaning Creighton, Marquette, Xavier are dominating the Big East. Uh, Shaka's done a great job with Marquette. Creighton's very good. They have length. They can shoot it. They can play some interior defense. The coach does a good job. Xavier, Sean Miller's a wonderful coach. Uh, He has Xavier playing well. Xavier will move it up and down the floor. They're a dynamic team. They're a tough out. It will be a very tough out in the NCAA tournament, and he's a good tournament coach, Sean. Um, So he's a dangerous guy in those settings. I would watch Xavier. They could be uh, very, very tough. The... Eastern part of the Big East has, or the traditional part of the Big East, has had a down year. UConn's got a dangerous team. Seton Hall, clearly, you know, they're not there yet. Villanova, with the transition away from Jay, has had a very tough first year under its new coach, um, despite having a lot of talent. Um, Whitten was a one-and-done player. He's going to be a top five or six pick in the NBA draft, so he's out. And he's been disappointing this year anyway, I think. Um, he hasn't fit in the way they thought he would. He hasn't been as dynamic as he should have been. Because um, he has wonderful talent. He really does. But they, have, they, they haven't fit and they haven't been able to close games. They've been doing a very, very poor job. Very poor job of closing games. You know, this past week they had their first really big win of the season, to be honest with you. The red, other games they've been... Very disappointing in losing to most of the decent teams on their schedule. Um, you know what kind of problem St. John's is having, Georgetown is having. You know there's rumors about Patino going to Georgetown. It's not a secret. He'd like to jump up and make one more run at a school that can win a championship. Um, he'd give the league a shot in the arm if he goes to Georgetown, which is rumored. That doesn't mean it's happening, but it's rumored. Um, 
but clearly Villanova, Georgetown, St. John's, Seton Hall, you know, they've had better days and they have work to do. And it's such a big transition because the league has been so dominated by Villanova. Villanova's been the most dominant team in the country over the last 10 years with Jay Wright. They had been sixth or better in the final polls the last 10 years. They have been to the final four repeatedly. They've won two national championships. They have had a great run. They've dominated the Big East. Well, that's not happening this year. So it's been a very different year in terms of leadership in the Big East because of that. Um, Paul asks, uh, Mike, do you think the NFL should just drop the halftime show? The performers lip sync. The show always causes controversy, and the show destroys the field. Uh, can they remove it and do nothing? Uh, I think, see, they have always felt that they need to give America a show. Now, they can give America a show by doing it from a different location. But then they don't give the ticket holders in the stadium who pay a fortune for the game tickets, a fortune, up to now $5,000 face ticket. And it might even have gone up. That's, that's the last I've seen, and I haven't been to the last two games. The highest price ticket the last two years, I can't verify that hasn't gone up since then, was $5,000 face value on the ticket. The best seats were $5,000 piece. It's a lot of money for a ticket for a game. It's ridiculous. That's what they charge. So they think they have to give you a bang for your buck. Now, there are times I was in the stadium when Michael Jackson performed. It was unbelievable. It was that memorable. That doesn't happen very often. Most of the time, the halftime show is a dud. I agree with you. Now, that field was not ruined by the halftime show. That field was ruined by the turf they used did not work. That, they were slipping and sliding in the first half. And give Kansas City credit because they had the right shoes and the Eagles did not. They don't call that preparation, coaching, whatever. Give the Eagles credit. They were not as, having as much trouble. And the Eagle pass rush, it, it, it evened out the game because they didn't get a sack. And Reddick said it was the worst field he ever played on. He couldn't get traction on any play. And that's a guy who had dominated the playoffs. And he said he had never played on a field that bad in his life. He could not get a, uh, any traction uh, off the snap in the entire game. And the field was a, was a disgrace. But it was not caused by the halftime show. It was caused by them using a new turf. So the NFL blew it. I do not think they will change the halftime show for that reason, because of the fact they feel they have to make this a very special event. The easy thing to do would be to move the halftime show to a different venue and just let America see it and then pipe it into the stadium. You could do that. You want to try that one year and see how it works. It would allow you to shorten the halftime. It would be better for the teams from that standpoint. Now, you can't say it's affected the quality of play because this was about as well played a Super Bowl as we've ever had as far as competitiveness and everything else. I mean, Kansas City was brilliant in the second half. 
and the game was 38-35. So, you know, the NFL was going to sign up for that any day of the week, even though we don't like how the last two minutes ended. Um, it still was a close game. You know, they didn't have one of these, you know, 50-point blowouts or 40-point blowouts, which we used to have all the time in the, back in the 70s and 80s, or especially the 80s. Um when the NFC was so dominant and was, you know, blowing the AFC out of the building year after year after year. Go look at the scores of those games. Most of the time, those games weren't even, you know, there wasn't anything to watch in the second half of those games. So many of those games were one-sided. But I don't think they will change the halftime. I really don't. Um, It's hard to get a halftime that everybody's happy with. You know, I I just think there isn't one type of music. I mean, there are people who, if you put a Paul McCartney in there, no one's going to complain. If you put Bruce Springsteen in there, I think everyone, no one's going to complain, I don't think. Um, If you put Taylor Swift in there, and and she has turned it down repeatedly, um, no one's going to complain. There's always going to be some controversy otherwise. Um, but it's a hard thing to do, to find somebody good enough to, you know, to really excite people. Who wants to do this? Remember, they don't pay people to do this. You do it to get promotion. Roy asks, do you think that the fans and some of the media are overrating the Mets? To depend on two older pitches at the top of the rotation where there is risk of injury, a pitcher who never pitched in the MLB coming over from Japan and, and running back the same lineup as last year. Um, they did not improve the offense the way they had hoped. They hope they're stronger at catcher. They hope that they're healthier than they were last year, late, especially with Marte. Um, they have a, you know, it's funny, last year all anybody cared about was getting them to the postseason, just get us to the big series and let us unload Scherzer and DeGrom and watch out. No one's going to be able to compete with that. Well, Scherzer and DeGrom let everybody down. So now this year, the idea is, well, Verlander and Scherzer are old, so we can't count on them. He might go in with that mindset, and they might go in and blow everybody away. Yes, they are built around the dynamics of those two pitchers and their closer, who has proved so far to be the best, recently to be the best closer in baseball. You don't have to worry about the other part of your rotation if your one-two guy and your closer stand up the way they're supposed to. You'll get enough out of the rest of the pitching rotation if you can get two guys to be dynamic, the Mets are going to win plenty of games. They're going to be in the playoffs. Now, are they going to have to go through a more balanced field in the National League than, say, the Yankees will in the American League? Yes. With the Yankees, it's all about getting past one team. Obviously, Houston. In the National League, you have San Diego, you have the Dodgers, you have Atlanta, you have Philadelphia. You might have St. Louis. I mean, there's a lot in the National League to get through. Phillies coming off a World Series. Atlanta is incredibly talented. Dodgers and San Diego, very dangerous. A lot of people being very high on the Padres this year. So there's a lot there to go through. 
But the Mets are going to have, listen, I think in New York this year, both teams are going to win in the 90s. Both teams are going to go to the playoffs. They're both, especially the Mets, going to be helped by the schedule because they're not going to see as much of their division, which is going to be a positive, especially for the Mets. So from that standpoint, and probably for the Yankees, because those teams that they have trouble with uh, more in their division than not, usually, uh, especially Tampa Bay. But the Yankees, you know, are going to win somewhere around 95. And then the Mets are probably going to be right around there, too. They're both going to – it would be shocking if either didn't make the playoffs. You would expect that. The question is, can they get to the World Series? See, to get – have a big season now for either of them, it has to include a trip to the World Series. Getting to the postseason is – no longer enough for the Yankees. It has never been enough for the Yankees who have not been to the World Series now in a very long time and have been in an incredible World Series drought over the last 20 years. And now the Mets, having accomplished what they did last year, having a payroll that is going to have $100 million in luxury tax paid be at least $100 million above anybody else in baseball. And right now with the Yankees, they are $100 million ahead of the Yankees in payroll and could be heading north of that by the time the season progresses. There's expectations with that, that they're going to easily make the playoffs and then go from there. Well, we expect that. And they have a team that can do that. And remember, they have the ability to go out and add anytime they want. There's no reason they can't. They just have to pay the luxury tax, and they will. They've already said they have no problem with that. They have no problem with what they will do with the luxury tax. And that's why when I, I know everyone thinks that the Dodgers have held back so that they can make their move on Atani, maybe the Mets... We'll try to blow everybody out of the water and, and get Atani themselves. I'm not as big an Atani guy as a lot of people are because everyone acts like that's the difference between winning and losing. If it was, why hasn't he gone anywhere near winning? He hasn't. I don't think one player in baseball makes you an automatic winner. It's not built that way. It's not Aaron Rodgers. It's not, you know, a quarterback. It's not LeBron James. It doesn't, he's not, you know, not the difference between having a, you know, 30-win team and a 58-win team. It doesn't work that way in baseball. You take one player off a team. You know, listen, the Angels have had the best player in baseball for almost forever, and they never win. And in other sports, that doesn't happen. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's the difference. So, I mean, there's nothing guaranteed. It's not like if the Mets went out and saw the time, they'd automatically start knocking down, you know, World Series titles. It's not automatic. Nothing in baseball is automatic. The Mets have built themselves a roster that will be able to get them to the postseason. From there, you have to have your big performers perform well. Teams that are successful 
in the postseason have players who exceed regular season performance in the postseason. Boston always got that out of certain guys, including Big Poppy. The Yankees had a bunch of guys who would be as good or better in the postseason, who you could count on as being money, and some guys who just lifted their games extraordinarily. Look at El Duque. Look at El Duque would spend 11 weeks on the beach and then become an unstoppable force in the postseason. Think about what that means. Teams don't have that. I mean, when you have guys like that, the Yankees had guys who just lit it up in the postseason. Brocious was better in the postseason. Uh, Bernie Williams was as good or better in the postseason. Jeter was always as good or better in the postseason. Andy Pettit always came through in the postseason. Mariano never fell off in the postseason. El Duque, Wells lifted their games in the postseason. That's what I want. That's what makes the difference. When you have guys who lift their game in the postseason, you don't have to worry about them playing to the regular season performance. They play above that when the games are the most important. And that's how you, that's how you build teams that win a lot and win often. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.